Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 7, Part 2 of the Koki Chronicles podcast. Today's episode is Part 2 of a two-part podcast I recorded with the associated editor at BaseballTradeValues.com, Joshua Iverson. Um, in this episode, we further broke down each major MLB transaction this offseason, um, but if you haven't listened to the first part of this pod yet, catch up on that first before you click play on this one. But if you already have, listen in here for the second part of my conversation with Josh. So what we've been doing a lot is kind of like pairing these big acquisitions with the teams that have made a couple of these big acquisitions. So the next next signing I had was the Liam Hendricks signing uh, to the White Sox. And and let's pair that up with the Lance Lynn trade. So Mm -hmm. um, I kind of want to get your thoughts on both these moves. I like the Hendricks move, despite how expensive it is. I think three years is three years is a decent, is a, is a decent chunk of change. Right. And, but at the same time you get in that guy that not only that lockdown closer guy, quote unquote, in the traditional sense, but a guy who can maybe give you a couple extra, you could guy who can, you can really trust in high leverage spots in general, because they didn't really totally have that last season because you didn't totally trust what column a was going to give you all the time. Right. Because even though he did pitch fairly well last season, at least to my memory. Um, and then their bullpen uh, wasn't, was actually pretty darn good last season, but I, I think Hendricks kind of like gets them up to that, like real playoff contender level that they needed. And then you add in a guy like Lynn who, has had this really strange career resurgence all of a sudden becoming a basically an ace with the Texas Rangers. Um, and now he, he comes into a white Sox team where he's one of the top guys in that rotation again. And I think that's a huge move for them in the playoffs because one of the, one of their issues heading into the postseason, at least in my mind was their rotation depth, given that I just didn't really trust Keuchel in a playoff series and and of course they didn't have Kopech and it, it was it was just a really tough situation from for them but now you're bringing a guy like Lynn and all of a sudden you have that two top two top starters to go along with the Hendricks edition so you're both boosting your bullpen and you already have arguably the best offense in baseball so it, it's hard to argue against what the, the White Sox have done this offseason at least in my mind yeah I mean great point there with the bullpen it was very underrated i think i think once once they signed hendrix and people started looking at it they kind of went oh yeah they do have other talent there but but it's because it's a lot of guys without name value it's aaron bummer matt foster um, evan marshall like these guys don't jump off the page to you but they're quietly really really good and i I know a lot uh, i've seen a lot of white Sox fans on twitter kind of upset with the direction the team has gone this offseason um which is which is strange when you look at the additions that they've made but they were hoping for another big bat at dh they wanted a nelson cruz a marcelo zuna and they, a lot of people were saying why don't we just bring back column a for cheaper so we can afford one of those bats well i don't think that's <laughs> i think they're they have a different picture of column a than they should column a was very effective last year he also didn't strike anyone out <laughs> I, I would not touch Alec, uh, Alex Alex yeah. Alex Colomay yes Alex Colomay I would not touch Alex Colomay with a ten foot pole this off season I, I don't I don't I don't trust him at all I don't think he's going to do well at all next year I mean he's a, he's a ground ball weak contact type guy and there is some legitimate skill there to believe in but the strikeouts just disappeared and getting getting older I, I don't trust him at all I think Hendricks is a monumental upgrade over him I think. And I'm probably looking at this through slightly green and gold tinted glasses here, but Hendricks is, he's the best reliever in the sport right now. No cap. (laughs) I mean, you can, you can talk to me about Josh Hader if you want, but to me, it's, you can talk to me about Nick Anderson. You can talk to me about whoever, to me, it's Hendricks. If just seeing what he had done the last two years, beyond impressive, he got DFA'd. I believe, yeah, he was DFA'd in the middle of 2018. Um, after a couple of middle, decent middle relief seasons with Oakland, yeah, he goes down to AAA. He gets he's unclaimed. Goes down to AAA, 
and he essentially works with um i forget who it was with one of the pitching coaches down there though who just says like you know what just like air it out <laughs> just just chuck the ball and so he started doing a lot of long toss drills start just airing it out he comes back they use him as an opener down the stretch he was the opener for that infamous wild card game loss in new york uh kind of want to wipe that one from the memory but he rebounds that next season and as soon as blake trinan starts to fall apart he steps into that closers role and he's just pumping 100 100 on the corner it, it, impressive with a wipeout slider and then last season especially was insane phenomenal season one of the best relief seasons we've seen in a long time and it was from a guy in a shortened 60 game season a guy who had been dfa a year and a half prior and it all culminated in that playoff uh, playoff appearance against the White Sox there, where he, in game two, with the A's, with their backs against the walls, they need to win this game or they go home. He comes in, throws 49 pitches, I'm pretty sure it was. Gets into a little trouble at the end. Jake Diekman has to bail him out. Then the next day, decisive game three, he comes back out for the ninth after throwing 49 pitches the day before. And he's still throwing upper 90s. He still freezes Nomar Mazzaro with a fastball on the corner. He had some similar heroics against the Astros. This dude performs. He's a great guy, great clubhouse guy, great community guy. I think I saw the other day on Instagram that he, he's just now in Chicago and everything. And he's already like starting to hand out meals to firefighters. And it's like, this this guy can't do anything wrong. <laughs> and so they sign him to this weird contract. Um, one of the most bizarre we've ever seen really where it's it's three years and 52 million but it's actually four years and 52 million because that third year or that excuse me that fourth year is a buyout it's a, it's a club option but the buyout is the same value <laughs> as the option itself the same like 15 million i think it is value it's just if they choose to buy them out it'll be deferred over I think 10 years or something crazy like that. So weird contract structure for them to try and like play around with with dollars and with average annual value and all that. But for all intents and purposes, unless he falls apart, he's there for four years. And I think he's just gonna, I mean, you can look at his age, you can look at his kind of shaky and consistent track record, but just going off of who he's been these last two years, I think he's going to be a force for them for all four years of that contract. And then as you kind of staged it, pairing it with a guy like Lance Lynn, who had a similar kind of career resurgence, and he's an interesting one. Uh, he had a lot of surplus trade value because of his contract, super affordable. And there were a lot of there was a lot of frustration last uh, last trade deadline as to why Texas didn't trade him then, when it seemed like he had even more value. Another team's getting him for the stretch run. He was having another fantastic season. Everybody wanted him. Everybody wanted affordable starting pitching during the pandemic but he didn't go anywhere and we found out afterwards i believe it was ken rosenthal who reported that he kind of gave himself a no trade clause like he didn't have one in his contract but he told the rangers at the time if you trade me somewhere i don't want to go i'm going to opt out of the rest of the season for covid reasons air quotes around that <laughs> and so that gave him a lot of leverage gave the rangers zero leverage and so if I don't I don't know exactly how that went. I don't know if there were teams that they wanted to negotiate with and he just flat out said, no, I'm not, not going there. Either way, it meant there were less potential suitors for him. And so they wouldn't be able to get their full the full value that they deserve. So instead, they wait until the offseason, trade him to the White Sox. Dane Dunning is the main return. I think he's a good get for them. Uh, they don't really have much young pitching. So he's a good plug and play guy that can just step into the middle of that rotation. Uh, be pretty consistent from day one but the upgrade from dunning to, to lynn for the white Sox is also pretty huge Dunning dunning's an interesting like back end of the top 100 prospect type guy um probably never going to be much more than a mid-rotation guy but lynn is right up there with giolito he it's a formidable one-two punch i agree with you in not trusting keichel at all <laughs> it, it's just hard to trust a guy with that little velocity with that little swing and miss but Lynn gives them a true number two, and I think I think they are the team to beat in the in the AL Central now. I think the Indians, excuse me, Cleveland has taken significant steps back, and the Twins have been kind of treading water. I, I mean, they add Simmons, they add Ian Happ <laughs> to replace Jacob Arizzi. Uh, sorry, not Ian Happ, Jay Happ. My bad. <laughs> um, but I, I think there's still room in Minnesota for upgrades. Their bullpen is very suspect right now. Um, 
so I think I think the White Sox are the favorites there, and it's thanks to primarily Lynn and Hendricks. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to add. Um, yeah, I mean, I I gotta I, start letting you talk more. <laughs> no, it's no, you're good. Uh, I I don't have a ton else to add because like I agree with everything with Hendricks. I mean, he struck out 37 batters in 25 and a third innings last season. That's called sustainability, right? If you, if yeah. you can strike out guys at that kind of rate. That, that, that bodes well for your value as a pitcher. Um, and with Lynn, not as big of a strikeout guy, but I mean, he's done it now two years in a row where he's been a really good pitcher. When he went from 2018, he was uh, back into the rotation out of the bullpen for the Yankees in the playoffs to all of a sudden going to Texas for a chunk of change and, and becoming like a top of the rotation guy. It was just really, really, really bizarre uh, career mm-hmm. transformation after really just being like at best a mid rotation starter with the Cardinals. Um, but yeah, like I, I agree with you though. Like the White Sox are probably the best team in this, in this division. Um, and you just mentioned the Indians and them taking a huge step back. I looked at their roster and this kind of transitions just into the Lindor, the whole Lindor situation. Um, I looked at their roster the other day and I wasn't, I was surprised by how I much, I didn't hate it. Are they worse? <laughs> Absolutely. But could they make the playoffs? <sighs> I'm not going to rule it out. And I don't like their offense, uh, of course. Um, mm-hmm. they're from five through nine right now, projected roster. This is according to the roster resource on Fangraphs. Uh, five through nine, their lineup is Josh Naylor, Roberto Perez, uh, either Andres Jimenez or Ahmed Rosario, Oscar Mercado, in uh fellow named Daniel Johnson, either him or I guess Jordan Luplo. Uh that right now is the bottom half of their lineup, which is uh pretty egregious, <laughs> so to say. But at the same time, like they still have the same strong rotation that um that 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 got them to uh that got them to the playoffs last season and their bullpen is still really good. So they're just really weird. And, and imagine if they just spent money, like how good would this team be if they actually decide to spend the money on Lindor? But I guess first, before we start talking about the Indians too much, what do you think about just the whole Lindor trade? Um, but before you start with the trade, just to be clear was should they got rid of Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, they shipped them both to the Mets and in return, they got Jimenez, Andres Jimenez, Ahmed Rosario, Josh Wolf, and Isaiah Green. Um, yeah, like what's your thoughts on the, on the whole trade and let's kind of break it down from both teams perspective a little bit here. Yeah. So I'm working to pull up the values on this trade right now, uh, from baseball trade values. It's, it's disappointing saga. I mean, this is, this isn't the first time we've seen this. Um, we've, we've seen it repeatedly in fact with, uh, with Mookie Betts, um, I, I am certain there's a couple other names I'm forgetting, um, but these these high-profile superstars that the teams just decide it's not within their best interest to sign this guy long-term. And so they packaged him and Carrasco together. Carrasco, a very consistent starting pitcher, getting up there in years, but he's on an affordable contract, great guy. Um, so they send him and Lindor to the Mets, and that's just... <laughs> One man's uh, one man's trash, another man's treasure, I guess. I don't know if the Indians thought that either of those guys were trash, but that's a huge win uh, for New York. Now, a lot of people were disappointed at the return that Cleveland got, and it was nearly perfect by our model over at Baseball Trade Values. We had $41.6 million in trade value headed to the Mets, and that's Carrasco and Lindor combined, and then 40.8 headed to Cleveland. And that's Jimenez, Isaiah Green, Ahmed Rosario, and Josh Wolf. And so, pretty fair deal there. They get they get an immediate replacement for Lindor in Andres Jimenez. They get another kind of interesting infielder in Rosario, and they get two prospects who have a lot of helium right now in Isaiah Green and Josh Wolf. And so, what you see what you're seeing right now, especially after they've made a couple of other signings, they picked up Cesar Hernandez, brought him back uh, for a year with a club option. They're bringing in Eddie Rosario because they have no outfield, as you mentioned. <laughs> and so he's their one outfielder. Don't know how he's going to man all three spots at once, but good luck, Eddie. Um, but now they have a bit of a crowded infield there. 
They got Jose Ramirez planted at third base. He's not going anywhere. There's some vague trade rumors, but we have his value very high, very affordable contract, MVP type player, not going anywhere. Um, so we have him at third base, and then they're going to give Jimenez every chance at shortstop. He's their he's their guy right now. He's the big piece that they got for Lindor. They're not gonna not gonna mess around with him. They might they might uh, give him some AAA experience to start the year, kind of service time manipulation, get the extra year of control. Um, but long term, he's their guy. And now they have Hernandez, who was really good in 2020, and they're bringing him back at second base. So where does that leave Ahmed Rosario? I think there's still another trade there. We've seen that the Reds are interested. The A's still need a shortstop. Um, yeah, if they can leverage Rosario into a major league outfielder, which I'm I'm not overly optimistic they can. They might need to add something else in there, or the return might not be all that great. We have Rosario at 4.7 million in trade value, and so say maybe to the Reds for a guy like Aristides Aquino get some upside there. Um, or kind of an older, under-the-radar guy, Mark Payton. One of those two guys to kind of supplement their outfield a little bit. Um, they got to pull the trigger on Rosario, in my opinion. They have this piece that at least two teams are going to get in a bidding war for, and they need more help, and they don't want to spend money on it. So get a young outfielder from one of those teams. Um, so I think if they do that, you're right that their pitching has just always been strong. They have this unbelievable pipeline of just developing pitchers out of nowhere. This Aaron Savali, he's great, and nobody knew about him. Shane Bieber was not a top 100 prospect, I don't believe. He was a very, like, yeah, this guy's got good control. He doesn't throw very hard, and they developed him. Kluber wasn't much of anything. I mean, Carrasco, I think both Kluber and Carrasco were, like, very post-prospect type type guys that they really developed. Um, they developed Bauer. You could argue that Bauer developed himself, but that's a rabbit hole we don't need to go into. <laughs> I like to spend spend as little time thinking about Trevor Bauer as I can. Um, but they, they just consistently create pitching. And so I'll, even if the depth chart doesn't look fantastic right now after losing Kluber, Carrasco, Clevenger, Bauer over the last couple years, even if it's not stellar like it used to be, I'm still never going to doubt their ability to develop pitching. So, I mean, they're going to be around – I, I had the idea that they were just going to kind of punt 2021 with the Cesar Hernandez and Eddie Rosario signings. It doesn't look like they are going to, it looks like they're going to try and at least hang around the pack. Uh, maybe if there are expanded playoffs in 2021, they can sneak in there. I don't have them as a playoff team right now, but I have them as at least 500 ish causing some problems for Chicago and Minnesota. Hmm. I think like, when I look at the rotation, I still see Bieber, Plesak, who's all right. Savali, who was really good last season, as you said. Tristan McKenzie, who is a total wild card, but that kid's so talented, so you never know. And Logan uh, Allen. Sorry to interrupt you, but <laughs> have you seen Tristan McKenzie? He's, yeah, he's a, he's like a prey mantis. He is a twig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've never seen a man that skinny before. <laughs> <laughs> But he's also a professional athlete. But yes, he throws gas. He's he's a, a talented young pitcher. You know, the ball pops out of his hand, and if he can stay relatively healthy, he's a heck of a guy to have as your fourth starter. Um, and then Logan Allen's the fifth guy. And Logan Allen's been a name that's been thrown around a lot um, as like, oh, this guy could be pretty good someday, right? So mm-hmm. I, I I think they have something going there in their rotation in their bullpen. I mean. Uh, Emmanuel Classe comes back this season, and they're going to actually get to see him pitch this year. He throws 102-mile-an-hour cutters. Yeah, exactly. And and then with, with Whitgren and, and Karinchak, I love Karinchak. This guy yes. might be my favorite reliever in the league. Um, <laughs> yes, he's, he's up there with watch. Hendricks. Give him another year, and maybe he passes Hendricks, but he's right up there. Yeah, in terms of in terms of not just the best. I mean, he's one of the best already, but in terms of just watching mm-hmm. him pitch – like the pure like mm-hmm. fun in seeing he's this guy dominant. throw baseball. He's the word, the word dominant. Guys just can't touch him. It's incredible. We, we haven't seen anything like this. I can't remember the last time. Maybe Billy Wagner. I don't know. Even Billy mm-hmm. Wagner didn't strike guys out like this. And then they just you know they just rolled the dice a little bit on Phil Matone. Uh, Cal Quantrill, I think, is someone who can give them extra innings and maybe even sl- like slide into the rotation if they get an injury there. 
Yeah, they have more pitching than you'd ever want. And I think that alone will make them at least a contender, I think, at least, unless they have like a really disastrous uh, uh, like injury situation there. But you're right. Like their offense is awful. Like Fran Mil Reyes is, might be like their th- third best hitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's all right. But then it's a sharp drop off from theirs. The yeah. Problem. It's not like they have four Fran Mil Reyes's. If that yeah. were the case, it'd be fine. But they don't. They have one Fran Mil Reyes, one Cesar Hernandez, who's the perfect like league average second baseman. Uh, I like Cesar Hernandez, nice player. Um, and then Jose Ramirez is the one elite yeah. guy, and then Rosario, who I like, although I don't love him either. Um, so like, yeah, they got a weird team going into the next season, and they're somehow going to be around where they were last year, despite the fact that they just traded away their best player or their franchise player. I don't know if he's even their best player anymore because Ramirez was so good last season. Um, he's clearly better than Lindor last year. He just was. Um, so yeah, they've got, they're in an interesting spot moving forward, but I kind of want to look this at this from the Mets side as well. Uh, they already had one of the five best offenses in baseball last season, and now they're adding in uh, a potential franchise altering, uh, positional player to go along with a really good middle of rotation starter who basically replaces what they had basically replaces the Steven Matt spot since they just got rid of him too. So let's talk about the Mets a little bit here. Like they got better. Yes, they, they certainly did. They're one of those teams. I forgot to mention them earlier as far as the teams that are just willing to spend. And that's because Steve Cohen didn't own them for the pandemic season. He didn't suffer those losses or loss of profits or however you want to word it. He might have taken a financial hit. Otherwise, I don't know his entire background. I know he just deleted his Twitter because he was getting threats over the GameStop stuff. I'm I'm trying to stay out of that a little bit. (laughs) But whatever the case may be, he's willing to spend. And that's made them so much more fun and so much more exciting. And and if they can lock up Lindor, which I, I would put money on, yes, they will, which in most cases I wouldn't put money on something like that. Um. Uh, it's it's obvious always more likely that the the player tests the market and then there's 30 teams that they can talk to instead of just one uh but in this case i think it's a good fit on both ends and i think they do lock him up long term that's great for them that's a potential hall of famer that they just kind of stumbled upon because they were willing to spend money um and then carrasco as you mentioned great addition there to kind of replace um replace steven matt's they have Marcus Stroman coming back. He got excited by Steve Cohen, decided to accept the qualifying offer. And they still got, I think they still got enough money for one more big move. I don't know if that means a Trevor Bauer. I don't know if that means a slightly smaller move, something like grab Jake Odorizzi and Jackie Bradley Jr. Cause they still could use a defensive center fielder. Mm, that's their biggest uh, they, they were involved. Yeah. They were involved with Springer. I don't, I think it's a better fit for them to kind of go the approach that they have been. Um, but I think, I think Bradley, Jackie Bradley Jr. makes a lot of sense there. Um, or maybe some sort of a weird underwater trade for Kevin Kiermeyer. I don't know. Um, but they, they still need to do something there, and I'm sure they will. They could use another starter after losing Mats, and I'm sure they'll make some sort of an addition. And they added Lindor, they added Carrasco, they added James McCann to... I think what a lot of people thought was an overpay of a contract, and we had it as an overpay, a pretty notable overpay um, at baseball trade values. But he kind of, he doesn't really fit into the model just based on the way his career has gone as a catcher, the, the changes that he's made, but he's made these changes. And even though he broke out, he still didn't get full time playing time so he's working with a smaller base of information to kind of project forward off so it's hard to gauge him in the model we had to make some manual adjustments for him but i think he is a a good player he's we we talked earlier about how few good catchers there are i think he's in the top he's in the top 10 at least in the league he might be in the top five i don't know but regardless, I think he's a great upgrade for them over Wilson Ramos and Tomas Nito and whoever else they were going to throw back there. He's no real Muto, but he's an upgrade for sure. 
And so I think they're just going to have a threatening lineup one through nine. I think they're going to have a solid defense if they can get that center fielder. If not, it's going to be shaky. But if they can get that center fielder between, let's just let's just say it's Jackie Bradley between Jackie Bradley Jr. in center, Lindor at shortstop, McNeil playing all over the field, Nimmo playing corner outfield with uh, with Conforto, Pete Alonso doesn't play a horrible first base. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're they have a solid defense, not the best in the league, but the solid defense, a great lineup. A great pitching staff. It's always great when you can start your pitching staff with Jacob DeGrom and then add talent behind that. I I have I'm not gonna be able to pick between them and the Braves for that division because I think the Braves are just incredibly talented too and they probably have another move or two up their sleeve. They need a third baseman for sure. But they're both gonna be right up there. They're they're the one in one A and one B. I don't know which order, but they're one A and one B. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think they did overpay for McCann, but at the same mm-hmm. time, like it is defensible. It the part of that move, it, you can defend at least a good a, a good chunk of that defense is literally just like there are no good catchers, and mm-hmm. especially this offseason, there were no good catchers available except for maybe Real Moto if he hit the market, and Real Moto did hit the market, but. The, that's I don't like. I guess they did have the money to spend the five years in one fifteen, but I, I think they saw, um, uh, like, I think they saw like bringing back Stroman or trading for Lindor as higher priority on their list in terms of like the sort of impact they wanted to make to an upgrade this team because shortstop was kind of a hole for them as well because I don't hate Rosario as much as some other people do. A lot of the perception of him, him I think, is skewed because of his high prospect status. And yes, he has had yeah. a slightly disappointing career, but at the same time, like he's a good defensive shortstop who, at his best, can give you 105-ish Wade runs created plus and steal some bags, right? Like yeah. I don't think he's a total waste of a player. At the same time, like he has some type of value. I don't know what exactly it is, but it's he, he is a strange player in that sense. And I think Jimenez was all, was all glove, no bat. Like that guy has no power. So the up to turn that into Francisco Lindor, even though Lindor hasn't been the same elite, elite player that he was two years ago is a, is a major upgrade either way. Um, and then, and to add him to a lineup that was already again, one of the five best lineups in baseball last year by almost any metric that you see, especially given that we, now we know that Conforto is a great hitter. Always believe in that guy. Um, McNeil could play anywhere and he's an excellent and he's once again repeated his excellent play. Um, Pete Alonzo wasn't as good as he was his rookie season, but he's still a really good middle of the order power power guy who's he's who's just gonna strike out at every curveball he sees. But still really good player. And I I really like the Mets heading into the season. They have a lot of lineup depth and uh, their rotation should have more injury luck this season than the last season. Last season I thought they kind of got the reason why they didn't end up having a good year was basically because everyone but DeGrom got hurt and that was just simply unlucky. And if you gave them that team more time, I think they could have easily made the playoffs um, in a 162 game season instead of a 60 game season where oh, a couple injuries, oh, Syndergaard's hurt and Stroman is hurt and then drop, drops out because of COVID. Oh, well, now you're screwed, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, I like what the Mets are doing uh, moving yeah. forward. And their bullpen's underrated. I think their bullpen, the whole bullpen thing has been kind of overblown with them too, because like Lugo's awesome and Justin Wilson's good. And like, they got a million, um, Wilson's a free agent at the moment, but like they get, they have like a million guys that you trust in that bullpen too. So like, I don't, I don't know. It's, I, I like, I, I mean, obviously you gotta love where they're at, but the problem is it's the history of them being the Mets <laughs> pause um, yeah. at the same time. And, so. and between this Cohen stuff with the GameStop stock and he's not really looking like the good guy in that between the Jared Porter thing. Like there's already shades of them continuing to Mets <laughs> and you just hope that doesn't bleed onto the field. I mean, it, it's, it's possibly like some sort of like confirmation bias type thing where like we expect this from the Mets. So of course it's just the Mets when like in reality, it could just be kind of randomness. Like this stuff happens sometimes. Yeah. But, um, but there's that. Um, back to what you said about the catchers, though. You made a good point that, like, yeah, that's, that's he, McCann and Real Mudo were really their only options. I think the one that I would add in is Wilson Contreras, but he's going to cost decent prospects. And 
Yeah. They went into this. The Mets, they've publicly stated that they want to rebuild their farm. And they already traded a decent level of talent for Lindor. They're going to have to trade a similar level of talent for Contreras because he's not necessarily the same caliber player as Lindor, but it's a, it's a position of scarcity. Plus he has more years of team control remaining. That, that was a big factor in limiting Lindor's trade value is that he is a free agent next year as of now uh, before the Mets potentially extend him. But so if your choices are we're committing a hundred million plus to real Mudo or we are trading significant assets for Wilson Contreras, and maybe that stops us from trading assets for Lindor, or that just decimates our system even further. Or we give James McCann what he wants, or we just deal with a black hole at catcher again. Of those four options, it's very possible that the most attractive one was McCann at his price point. So Mm. that's part of that there. As far as the bullpen goes, um, yeah, they've been underrated, and I think a large part of that is people still don't think Edwin Diaz is good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he's not remotely worth Jared Kelnick at this stage. No. If that's how you're trying to gauge if somebody's good, he's definitely not worth Jared Kelnick plus having to take on Robinson Cano's contract. Uh, that trade was a disaster from day one. So, like, let's, but let's stop evaluating Edwin Diaz based on a trade that he had no involvement in personally he didn't he didn't decide to do that that's brody van wagenen's decision and he's gone so don't worry about it yeah but diaz had a very strange year in 2019 where his peripherals were all great his era sucked because he kept giving up home runs and it was partially luck it was partially like when he missed he missed right down the freaking middle and so in 2020, he was actually very good. Some of that luck kind of balanced out a little bit. He improved a little bit on his command. And he's he's looking like a very good, reliable reliever. I understand that there's some trepidation there. I understand if you don't fully trust him going into the ninth inning every single game. Uh, but even if you don't, like you mentioned, there's a Lugo. They just signed Aaron Loop, who was quietly really good last year. They got some relief depth there at the back end of their bullpen. And so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to find an obvious flaw with them outside of center field. And I can almost guarantee they're going to do something about center field in the next few weeks before spring training. So it's (laughs) – and we could have this entire same conversation about the Braves, though. Like, they have one hole, really, third base. Everywhere else, they just have talent across the diamond. It's going to be so fun watching these two teams compete. Hmm. I do worry about – if we're – just quick before I move on, I, I do want to mm-hmm. mention that with the Braves that their lineup depth is a problem. They don't have mm-hmm. a ton of guys that you can trust at the plate. And they kind of showed during the playoffs mm-hmm. because after the, after like you'd see when, especially like remember when Duvall got hurt in the NLCS yeah. and it was like, Oh no, Duvall's hurt. And it was like, why are you trusting this much? And on that's Adam, Adam Duvall. Yeah. <laughs> so I like worry good about platoon bat, like but like shouldn't be shouldn't be the heartbeat. Yeah. And again, they and they still. I mean, the Dodgers anyway. They, so. I I had them as a a good fit for Arenado. If if I was running the Braves, he would have been the top of my list, kind of, um, just because financially they're pretty well set up for the future because of those hilariously affordable uh, Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies contracts they're not going to have to worry about them for a long time. So I thought, I thought Arenado made a lot of sense for them. They missed out though. Maybe they can still make a move for a big third baseman. Maybe they pry Justin Turner away from, uh, from the Dodgers. I don't think that's incredibly likely, but I mean, even as is, I think they got a lot of upside, even in the parts of their lineup that aren't as exciting. I mean, right now roster resource has them penciled in for Austin Riley at third base. And he's got a lot of power. He's got a lot of upside. He's a former highly touted prospect who just hasn't really put it together yet. And they've got Christian Pache in center field. And he's a fantastic defender. Got some upside with the bat. He's never going to be a big power guy, but he's got some upside. He's got some speed. I like him a lot. And so, like, even, even if they don't do anything, they got a lot of potential here. And sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. 
Um, I think now is a good time to move on to the darlings of the offseason. And that's the San Diego Padres, who have suddenly become the New York Yankees of the 2020s and have decided to Yankees. <laughs> and have decided to spend all of the money and all of the prospects on building a championship level team uh, to hilarious George Steiner, Steinbrenner and in, in his peak in like peak mid 2000s form levels of trades and signings and bringing in money. And this is all during a pandemic. And I got to give their, I don't know the owner's name off the top of my head, but I got to give this guy credit. Like <laughs> in a market like San Diego in pan, in a pandemic, and they've decided to spend more money and, and bring on more money than almost any other organization. I think as much as, as much, if not more than any other organization in the game over the last two years. Um, starting with Machado and really starting with Hosmer, which was a bad deal, but like starting with Hosmer and moving on and all the way to now. And it's just, it's really unbelievable. And they still somehow still have pitching prospects left over after all these trades and all these signings. So it's really something, um, uh, but let's concentrate our conversation on the two big pitching moves they made this offseason. That's the U Darvish trade. Uh, who they brought in from the Cubs and then the Blake Snell trade, of course, arguably the biggest move of the whole offseason uh, from the Rays. So let's let's break it down. Let's talk about the Padres. Yeah, they've been very, very, very active as as we've kind of come to expect here from uh, from AJ Preller. He's he just does this. This is just what he does. <laughs> um, there, there was like a 24 hour period where they traded for Blake Snell, traded for Yu Darvish, signed ha Seong Kim, even though they didn't really have a position for him, and they just said, oh, let's go for it. Um, so I want to start with uh, with Yu Darvish here. Uh, we had that one as a miss uh, on baseball trade value. Really? Interesting. We have had issues with A.J. Preller in the past. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> he... have had issues with him, too. But I actually <laughs> like that move. Interesting. Continue no, no, no. I, I, don't mean, I don't mean a miss as in uh, a bad move for them. I mean as in uh, the trade that happened wouldn't have been accepted by our model. Okay. We, thought, we thought they underpaid for Darvish and uh, and Caratini. So we've had issues with Preller in the past. It's I, I don't really know how to quantify it. <laughs> I don't have an easy explanation, but it seems like a lot of the time when our trades, um, when the values don't line up and the trade still goes through in real life, it's, it's because Preller's on one end of it. <laughs> uh, we we missed big time on Luis Urias Trent Grisham trade back a year ago. Uh, we had Urias as much much more valuable than Trent Grisham, and that was that prompted a change in our own kind of model valuation and how we treat some of those post prospect guys because Urias was um, he was a former top prospect, but he hadn't done anything at the big league level. It had been a couple years. The Padres weren't really giving him any more. Um, at bats they weren't giving him any more opportunities it seemed like they kind of gave up on him and then on the flip side of that Trent Grisham was like one of those guys who had a lot of helium he was rising really quickly so we missed completely on that trade and readjusted our system as a result uh, the U Darvish trade was a similar miss because all four prospects I believe it was four prospects um, heading from the Cubs or no heading to the Cubs for Darvish excuse me they were all very young, very lower level guys. And a lot of them had helium that we did not know about until after the trade. So that's something we also find out about a lot is like, we don't necessarily know that, oh, this guy was killing it at Instructs this year, or this guy was awesome at the alternate site. He changed his swing, whatever. A lot of the times we don't find that out until after the trade goes through. And so we have no way of kind of adjusting these prospects for uh, now they're ranked higher unless they're either updated by one of our like prospect sources. Uh, we use a handful of different publicly available prospect sources um, to value our prospects in the system. And so, so that's the only way that we really know if they're more valuable than they were. So that's what happened a little bit with the U Darvish trade. They got a couple, uh, the Cubs got a couple of really exciting, young, flashy, high upside, um, minor league hitters specifically. So I don't, while we have that trade as a miss, I don't hate that for the Cubs. 
and obviously you have to love it for the uh, for the Padres. He's Darvish is completely reinvented himself. It seems like he had he was on a bad trajectory for a while, um, but he's really rebound. He's throwing harder than he ever has in his career. He throws like fourteen different pitches, and I'm not even sure that's an exaggeration. I think he might throw yeah. fourteen different pitches. No, you're right. <laughs> and it's 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 insane that they're adding him to this team. On top of Blake Snell, on top of Joe Musgrove, who I do want to get into a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, I'll pivot to Snell now. We had that, but we didn't miss on that one. We hit on that one um, on baseball trade values. He, the the big centerpiece there was Luis Patino, and that's that's the best prospect the Padres have given up in this like two year run that they've had of being hyper aggressive and putting together all this talent. The best prospect they've given up is Luis Patino. And he's very valuable, don't get me wrong, but he has his flaws. He hasn't quite performed at the big league level yet. He's the type of guy who could very easily blossom into a frontline guy that makes them regret trading him. And I, I have a lot of faith in the Tampa Bay Rays development staff to make that happen. But for right now, he's an uncertainty. And right now, the Padres want certainty. On that note, though, I don't think Blake Snell is certainty. <laughs> he's an affordable contract. He's a former Cy Young winner, but what keeps him, what kept his value down, and the reason the Rays were fine trading him is the same reason that he isn't an ace, and it's the same reason that he got pulled early in Game 6 of the World Series, and it's because he just doesn't go deep into games. Yeah. He doesn't have a deep enough repertoire, repertoire or enough durability to give you seven innings night in and nine out. He's going to give you five innings, six innings maybe. He's going to go two times through the order probably, and that'll be it. And now he wants to go deeper into games, and the Padres have said they're going to try and let him go deeper into games. I don't know how that's going to work out, though. He doesn't do well third time through the lineup, and I think he's going to con- – if he, if he does continue to struggle in that way, he's a, he's a valuable pitcher. He's going to give you five or six solid innings every time, but that's not an ace. That's not a Jacob deGrom. That's not even a U Darvish. That, that's not the same level of value there. So, I like the addition. I don't think I, I don't think it's accurate to to get excited and say, "Look at this! They just added a former Cy Young winner." Because I don't necessarily think that's who he is going forward. Yeah. Um, but but Musgrove is maybe the flip side of that, where I think he's a ton better than people expect. Yeah. So we I agree. We, we did miss on that trade on baseball trade values, like I said. Preller just breaks us for some reason. We have a uh, we have about a 95% acceptance rate since August 2019, which means 95% of trades that um, went through in real life, we plugged them into the system, and they are also accepted by the system within our parameters. So it's a it's a reliable system. I trust it. But Musgrove was another miss, and we trying and it was a big miss too. And so we we looked at all the numbers. And we decided we're not high on Musgrove. I mean, on, on the surface, Musgrove isn't all that special. He's had ERAs kind of in the fours the last couple of years, but he's cheap. He's talented. He had a very good year peripherals-wise last year, and he's always had pretty good peripherals. He's been playing in front of a pretty bad Pittsburgh defense in, in, on a Pittsburgh team that hasn't been trying to win these last couple of years. So you know there's more in the tank there. Um, and he's just gotten unlucky to some extent. Like his his FIPS have always been much better than his ERAs, and so there's mid rotation, if not better, talent there. And he's going to be affordable, and I believe he has two years of team control there. So he, we're confident that we weren't wrong about him. It's the return that we might have must have been wrong about, and we think the biggest reason why is Hudson Head. He was kind of after the trade seen as the centerpiece there. He was a guy that not a lot of people had heard of, at least I hadn't heard of. <laughs> not a lot of more uh, people who aren't necessarily in tune with all 1,000 top Padres prospects there are because the Padres have the deepest system, second deepest system in baseball behind the Rays. Um, but Hudson Head has a lot of helium. He's being seen as a potential top 100 guy by a lot of sources, and we didn't have him anywhere near that. And so once you adjust for that, it gets a lot closer and they sent over a handful of other interesting to semi-interesting <laughs> players to the Padres. But anyway, what I'm getting to here is they've reworked this whole bullpen, this excuse me, this whole rotation, which was kind of a question mark for them. They 
added five guys who on any given day can perform like a number one or number two type pitcher. And, and they've covered their own risk a lot with guys like Denelson Lamette, who has, a, he's dominant, but he has the lengthy injury history or a guy like Chris Paddock, who everyone was really high on and he had a really bad 2020 season, but he's still around. And so even if Lamette gets hurt or Paddock is bad again, they just have so much talent there that it's not going to hurt him that much. And so I don't think it's possible to look at these moves and say, oh, I don't like these. Like, it, it's not possible to not be a fan of what the Padres have done. It's, they're, they're, they've pulled themselves up to the Dodgers from, for once, for the first time in a decade, maybe? Is that fair to say? Not More a than that. A little less than a decade. <laughs> I mean, first time in a little less than a decade, the Dodgers have legitimate competition in that division um, they have a legitimate rival who can equal their talent and i cannot wait to watch it the padres have never been good in our lifetimes yep like legitimately <laughs> consistently good a legitimate team you know uh and now it's impossible to ignore this because of how loaded their roster is even we haven't really mentioned their bullpen but their bullpen at least has the potential to be pretty good again um, even without some of the pieces they had last season. But I look at this team and I, I, I just it, I just see a loaded roster, despite the fact that they still were able to keep Mackenzie Gore and Ryan Weathers and guys like that in the system, despite making all these trades. It's just the only way they could have made any of this happen was, was because of the money. And for whatever bizarre reason, A.J. Preller was able to convince – the owner of the Padres, whose name I'm forgetting again, to spend money this offseason and the, and the last couple offseasons to upgrade this team. Simple as that. It's really simple. It comes down to that they spent money despite all the pandemic stuff and the, mm-hmm. and the, fight, and the fact that they're in freaking San Diego. Um, beautiful place. You know, sounds like a potentially good place for baseball and a lot of baseball fans. But if that was always the case, then why haven't they been contenders for literally the entirety of the history of the franchise? So I, it's, I like the move. Like before this offseason, I wasn't a huge fan of some of the moves they made. Like, like like you mentioned earlier, um, the Trent Grisham trade. I never saw, I never got it with the Grisham trade because I thought they were just bringing in a fourth outfielder for a potential star second baseman. Like that didn't make any sense mm-hmm. to me in, and it seems like they've won that trade. The Hosmer signing wasn't a big, wasn't a big fan of that. And to be honest, still not I a big hated fan of that. that. <laughs> <laughs> and that hasn't, that one actually hasn't worked out. I'll take back. I'll take that back. That was horrible. Um, he was like at the, least productive last season. Yeah. Yeah, and I wasn't. Which is a, big... a low bar to clear, but. <laughs> <laughs> and, but they're still paying him tons of money to just be like. Yes. Yeah. Maybe league average, um, as a first baseman. But anyway, yeah. like, and then the Profar move, I hated the Profar move, and I'm like, what are we? What are they doing here? Like, why? Are we, why are they giving up so much for a guy who has had one league average season for his entire career, despite all the talent he has? And last year he was actually decent which was really surprising. So any is vers- positional mm-hmm. versatility. Like he's kind of found, I, maybe he's just, you know, a, like a really super utility guy, like an Enrique Hernandez, but without the crazy splits. Um, so I, and then they bring in Nola, they bring in Mitch Moreland for half a season. Like they got, it really just started adding on and on and on. And it got to the point where now all of a sudden they have this absolutely loaded roster without giving up the top top notch prospects that they still have. It's really incredible what they've done there. And it was so unconventional, as you said, it, it screwed yeah. up with your models and screwed up with our heads as baseball fans, because <laughs> the amount of talent it seemed like they were giving up and the amount of like the amount of risks they were running. But it, most of it ended up working out and it's and, it, and AJ Preller he just continues to amaze me man and they might they may not be done you never know what <laughs> could they bring in a reliever yeah you know what if they bring back Mitch Moreland who knows you know like it, it's 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 really wild yeah. it's really wild yeah right now um right now roster resource has both Kyo Kim 
and Jerks and Profar listed as bench bats. I mean, that's that's the biggest area. That's that's the main reason I would say that the Dodgers. Nobody's just been able to catch the Dodgers. There were years when the D-backs threatened a little bit, and the Rockies maybe got involved, but the reason nobody can catch them is because the Dodgers have always had insane depth. And now for once, it's looking like the tables are turning a little bit. The Dodgers lost Enrique Hernandez. The Dodgers lost Jock Peterson. They still haven't re-signed Justin Turner, although I'm sure they will. And they still have some depth behind them, some interesting minor leaguers. But right now, the Padres are at this stage where they, they signed Cam and Profar to significant free agent deals, both of them, over $20 million. And they don't have spots for them. Those are just depth pieces for them. The two of them, plus Jake Cronenworth, the three of those guys can play all over the diamond. And that gives them plenty of flexibility if anybody is underperforming, if anybody gets hurt. If Hosmer is bad, they can just put Jake Cronenworth at first base and have Kim at second base. If Tommy Pham has a down year, they can drop Profar in the outfield. And it gives them plenty of flexibility to play matchups and platoons as well. And so... They have so much depth on the major league team, plus one of the best farm systems in baseball. You mentioned uh, Mackenzie Gore. They have Luis Camposano Mm. um, at catcher. He's going to be a very good catcher someday. He's behind Austin Nola and Caratini. Um, They got plenty of other – they got C.J. Abrams, who's one of the best prospects in baseball, on the infield. And it's like, oh, my God, where is this guy going to (laughs) play? They got Machado, Tatis, and then Cronenworth, Kim, and Profar, like – there's no room for Abrams right now. And he's getting ready. He's getting closer and closer. And they got plenty of pitching depth. Mackenzie Gore, Ryan Weathers, Andre Moria, Adrian Morihone. It's <laughs> there's no weakness. <laughs> They're they are the Dodgers equals and they may be better. Wow. I don't know. Bizarre to say of the San Diego Padres. And coming off a year when the Dodgers won the World Series and they got Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger, and it's it's bizarre to say, but I mean, the Dodgers are getting older. The Padres are still really, really young. How much more good Kershaw's left versus Mackenzie Gore's whole career ahead of him? Mm. You you make you make me think for sure. Um, I still think the Dodgers are going to win the World Series next year, just <laughs> to be clear. Um, I'm not going to fully dive into that right now because dive into what you're saying right now it is it is a good it is true though that they are younger and moving forward but like we haven't i mean like if we're talking about like thing like assets that the dodgers still have that we haven't really seen yet i mean just wait until gavin lux actually gets his feet wet and is mature you know and like that guy has the talent to be another star in their team and like they are getting a little older true but the the way they develop prospects and the fact that they have like two top two of the five best prospect catching prospects in the league and i don't know like the the machine is still is still humming pretty well there that's all i'm saying and after the pandemic they're gonna have even more money they're gonna want to spend like talking about contracts they're in a pretty good spot for contracts um outside the mookie Betts deal they're not locked up to too many big deals right now mm-hmm. you know that's why they could do that mookie Betts trade um i don't think now's the time to really litigate that the, the bets trade until i guess uh we ever get on this podcast and start talking about the red Sox. um but uh i i i do want to say though like you are right that this padres team is a legitimate threat to the dodgers i think that i think that is a very reasonable and um uh accurate thing to say at this point um let's look at it very quickly before we go though um i don't want to look at this too much from the cubs side in terms of the Dodger, in terms of the darvish trade because it's pretty simple they wanted to get rid of money you know <laughs> it was just gotta get rid of the money bring in some interesting prospects and boom that's it and they need to retool and i and to be honest like that franchise needs to rebuild they've been stuck in the mud with the same core of players and it hasn't turned into any kind of any kind of results and they, they were it, it, i think it's smart to try to move on from a lot of these guys um to try to revamp the team and revamp the whole yeah. um structure there organizational structure there it just hasn't hadn't been they just been stuck in the mud for too long um that and but i do want to look at this from like the Rays side though uh i thought this was a really interesting trade for them uh-huh. and i kind of and i do think it is the proper 
uh, return for a Blake Snell trade, even though it is really worrying that their ownership was like, yeah, we can't afford a 10 million a year player. That's concerning, but that's, I think a whole different issue in terms of uh, should the race be in Tampa Bay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. Like just on a trade, on, but like in terms, just in terms of the assets they got though, what do you think <laughs> from Tampa's side? Yeah, it's really hard to to gauge exactly what the Rays are doing. And often it is hard to gauge what the Rays are doing. And it's usually like, I don't really know what's going on here, but I trust them because they're the Rays and they're probably smarter than me. And that makes it really difficult right now to gauge whether, is that what we're seeing here? Are they a, a step ahead of us and we should trust them? Or are they another one of these teams that's just not trying in 2021 because they don't have any money because of the pandemic. It's really hard to gauge which box they fall into here. I mean, they don't have a very threatening lineup right now as it stands. And I mean, it's essentially the same lineup they had last season and they went to the world series with it. So what do I know? (laughs) They do have depth. They have the number one prospect in baseball in Wander Franco and the number one farm system in baseball. One of the best we've ever seen in the history of the game, to be honest one of the deepest farm systems. And so they're going to have a lot of recruits coming up from there and kind of supplanting some of these less exciting players, you know, uh, 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 Willie Adames. He's, he's very good. He's a very good defender. He's about a league average bat, but Wander Franco is going to change the complexion of this team when he makes it. And so you, you see that there's, there's still a good team here and they're going to be strong for many, many years with guys like Franco in the farm system with a lot of their, I, I, I could talk all day about all of their prospects. They just have, it seems like they have a guy who's going to be an above average major league regular at every position on the diamond, if not multiple guys at every position on the diamond. So they're deep. It's just, I think 2021 is looking a lot like a transition year here. I mean, they've been very flexible with their pitching staff. They've never been, uh, they've never been the type to, at least these last few years, to shoehorn guys into specific roles. Uh, but it seems like they're going to take that to even more of an extreme this year. I mean, the only guy in their rotation now after losing Snell that's just like a surefire starting pitcher is Tyler Glass now. And even he's another one of those types that might only go two times for the order. Behind behind him, they got a lot of like they get the Ryan Yarbrough types where he swings back and forth a lot. Sometimes he's a follower behind an opener. They got a lot of length in the bullpen. Guys like Aaron Sleegers, Ryan Thompson, Ryan Sheriff. Cody Reed now I mean they're gonna piece together pitching and make something work it's not going to be as good as it was last year I don't think they've also had a lot of injuries on the pitching side Mm. um I I think yeah it's hard to look at their offseason especially with the Blake Snell trade and see anything other than team that got worse this year but it's also hard to look at their entire system and see anything other than a team that's going to be incredible for the next decade yeah it's hard to deny that they're not going to be good this season mm-hmm. even though it is in a way it is a transition year like you said but you put in patino into the into the mix here with like the 50 million other really really talented young starters and it's hard to see them not being at least competent this year and then being a great team moving forward with wander franco also in the middle of your lineup um so looking forward i think they probably they you could argue they got better in terms of the the next 10 years because they weren't going to resign snell even though they had him to this really really cheap deal right now after this after the deal that he's on at the moment even though it does go on for another three years and like patino just gives them a further runway and then like if they can get anything out of mejia which I don't know if anyone can because that guy is awful. Um, The door is wide open for him right now. I mean, they re-signed Mike Zunino, but if if we're talking about awful swings here, (laughs) Mike Zunino. (laughs) So uh, so Mejia is a work in progress for sure. He has, his trade value has almost tanked um, over the years. He used to be a very valuable trade asset, especially when he was traded to the Padres for Brad Hand. He, he had tons of value back then, and, and now it's really deteriorated, really fell off because his glove isn't great and his bat hasn't been great. And everyone thought the bat would be a sure thing, but now the swing looks a lot sloppier than it previously did. 
But if anybody can get something out of him, it's the Rays. And if any team's going to give him that opportunity, it's the Rays because Mike Zunino isn't blocking anyone. <laughs> he's blocking baseball because he's a pretty good defender, but he's not blocking anyone from an offensive standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I like the Cole Wilcox move too, in uh-huh. terms of, and as a college arm, I got to see him in the Cape actually um, when I was covering uh, for the, with the Whitecaps on the Cape. And he came in, he started the one game that he started um, for Orleans and he came in there and he seemed like a men amongst boys a little bit in terms uh-huh. of how hard he threw and just the level of pitching he had in a league where the pitching is typically very good. Yeah. Uh, he came in there and just dominated their lineup and it was clear that this guy had a different level of stuff and the ball was popping off the mitt at a different rate than and i started looking up this guy and i'm like oh yeah oh darn he would have been a first round pick of one for all these whether he's going to sign with georgia or not shenanigans so uh i think he's a really good third asset to get in a piece like this and then people have high high reviews on blake hunt as well so i i, I don't know i think patino and wilcox alone kind of almost makes it worth it for them in terms of like a value standpoint especially given that snell is a bit overrated as you said uh-huh. earlier with lack of innings he pitches pitched and i don't want to go into like a whole i'm glad you didn't really mention the world series too too much with uh <laughs> the decision that was made yeah. um which actually wasn't a bad decision but you know someone it, it, it just you know, put a gun to my head please right <sighs> um <laughs> so it's yeah like i they're going to be good. They're going to be good next year. Whether they, I'd be surprised if they totally missed the playoffs, just given the amount of like ro- like roster depth they have, uh-huh. but, and how good they are at um, just like rehabilitating the value of a lot of these players. Uh, so, yeah, like I like the trade that they made, and you know they're going to be a good team, and they're going to have some competition with the Blue Jays for that number two spot. And if the Red Sox get really really lucky, the Red Sox as well. But that's a little more of a long shot in my book. So. Uh, the A lease is going to be really good this year, so it should be interesting. Um, yeah. I I do want to point out one other thing about the Rays that kind of explains a lot of the moves that they have to make that kind of look like head scratchers at first, and it's their 40-man roster. So because the Rays have such a deep farm system, they have so many prospects every single year that need to be protected from the Rule 5 draft and put on their uh, 40-man roster. And so the Padres did this for a while as well. So many of the trades that they make are 40 man roster management. So you see a trade like the Blake Snell deal where they lose Blake Snell, who was on the 40 man, but they add Patino and Mejia who both need to be on the 40 man and they were full at the time. And so that forced them to immediately trade away um, Jose Alvarado, who is an interesting and talented left-handed reliever. And they traded him for not a whole lot but they traded him for the prospect. I'm blanking on the name right now. The player they get back is somebody who doesn't need to be on the 40 man roster and won't need to be on another on the 40 man roster. And so they can kind of stash him in the minors. And so, so many of their moves are at least encouraged by that thinking. Another one is the, uh, the Nate Lowe trade from earlier in the off season. They sent him mm-hmm. to Texas and it was a bit weird because people were thinking like, eh, G man Choi doesn't have a whole lot left in the tank here. Looks like Lowe. He's a pretty interesting prospect here he might he might be given more opportunities and instead they traded him and i I think he was the only i don't remember if there's another piece in that deal or not but they traded him in exchange for a couple of really interesting young catching prospects from texas and those guys again didn't need to be added to the 40-man roster so they are constantly shuffling like i said we've seen it with the padres in recent years as well um and even currently we saw it with their uh their musgrove trade they traded away david bednar kind of an interesting reliever who apparently he added Hideo Nomo's splitter in, in this offseason. He worked with Padres coach or advisor or something, Hideo Nomo, and learned to splitter. And think, oh, that's an interesting guy. And like, if the Padres have a weakness, it's the bullpen. Why wouldn't they hang on to him and see what they can get? Well, they really need the 40-man space for all of these additions. And just the cost of doing business is you gotta, you gotta shuffle these guys somehow. It's better to get something out of him by including him in a trade than it is to just cut him and watch another team claim him so that's that's a constant battle that these teams it's a it's it's i'm losing the analogy right now but they they have too much of a good thing <laughs> it's, it's a good problem to have of we have all of this talent here we don't have enough room for it to protect it all from other teams taking it oh no 
Um, but it is a very real problem that they face, and that does dictate some of their moves. Yeah, the Rays are the most fascinating team in the league. I think that's easy <laughs> to say. Um, yeah, so yeah, so Josh, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast. I really didn't expect us to go, I think, over two hours talking about just like <laughs> – random uh talk about these major moves like imagine if this podcast was just about like you know some of the other smaller moves like how long would we have gone on garrett richards (laughs) exactly yeah the the world only knows the world would never know right um Uh it's yeah it was it was a blast having you on we'll definitely have you on for at least one of the divisional previews if not um more than more than one and we'll have you on during the baseball season for sure as well so uh yeah, yeah thanks so much I've, for hopping uh, on thanks yeah, so much a blast for thanks for having me on um i would be more than happy to come back uh do you mind if i if i plug a couple things real quick like oh yeah oh wow going over the plugs all right go ahead yeah. man <laughs> all right um if any of y'all were interested specifically in the trade value portions of these discussions and some of the some of the uh, the numbers there and everything or if you just want to play around with the trade simulator go ahead and go to baseballtradevalues.com or find us at baseball values on Twitter. We also have a podcast there where we do kind of drill into every single transaction. Um, yeah, we've had a similar issue with episodes going way too long, <laughs> but we're trying to work on it. Uh, so we have a podcast over there. So check it out and find me at Jive MLB. Yeah, find him at Jive MLB. And I'll definitely <laughs> be checking out trade values, uh, the podcasts, and the, just looking at like trade value and understanding trades better. Um, because usually when they come out on their surface, like, um, uh, like, like the Nate, anything from as small as the Nate low trade to as big as say the Darvish trade, it's really confusing as to why, Oh, it's only, they're getting this, this, and this when it's this big of a name. But when you sort of understand like the money involved and the way teams have gotten smarter in terms of like taking the whole like public aspect out of it, like the shiny public aspect of it, it all makes a lot more sense, especially um, I use, and personally, I use Keith Law quite a bit to understand the prospects, uh-huh. like the smaller prospect side of it as well. Um, so yeah, so Josh, thanks thanks so much again for hopping on. This was uh, really fun. I think I'm going to split this up into two podcasts. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, thank you again for having me. It's a lot of fun. Thank you all so much for listening to part two of this two-part episode of the Koki Chronicles podcast. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, and spread the word about the show. Until next time, thanks for listening.